This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR. R-A-Z-O-R. Hello, hockey fans. I'm Paul Bruno here with Andrew Fiorentino, and we are the great ones. Today is January 14, 2016. I'm not making that mistake to call it 2015 yet, Andrew. I'm pretty proud of myself two weeks in. Today we got an interesting topic right off the top. Uh, rumors are swirling that Anze Kopitar and the LA Kings are very close to inking another long-term deal for another signature player in the NHL not named Steven Samkos. Let's talk about that right off the top. Your opinion on what sounds like an eight-year, $80 million contract breaking down to an annual cap hit of $10 million, just a shade under what Messrs. Uh, Kane and Taves are getting in Chicago. Yeah, this is uh, up-to-the-minute news for those of you following our podcast live, which is no one because it's a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, Kopitar, indeed, as you said, eight years, $80 million, uh, likely to sign on Friday. Uh, you know, I just hope that the Kings don't come to regret this. I think that it's a, a better move for them. You know, they've they've had they haven't had the greatest success with contracts. Uh, you know, uh, Dustin Brown, you may recall, is only in the uh, I think the the third year right now, third or fourth. I think the third year of an eight year contract extension. Uh, with a cap, with a cap hit of five point eight seven five million dollars, that's and, for a third line player. I know he comes up big sometimes in the playoffs, but that's a hell of a lot of money to to spend on a guy who doesn't produce more than 30 points a year anymore. Yeah, they signed him to that deal when he was still the the early 20s, early to mid-20s Dustin Brown, who was putting up 50-plus points and 300 hits a year. Yeah. Uh, and he just fell off a cliff after that. You were hoping that there was just a, a contract hangover there. But no, he just, uh, he really, I mean, fell off a cliff is the only way I, I think I can put it. 
Uh, and you just hope that they don't run into the same thing with Kopitar, because if they whiff on this contract too, they're really going to be uh, up up some kind of creek that I think I'm not allowed to <laughs> to remark I think on. There's a Canadian show called uh, that that name Shits Creek with S-C-H. <laughs> so we'll go with that and say it's it's that creek that they'll be up. And uh, Andrew, uh, that brings us to a bit of a discussion that I'd like to have with you on terms of the overall cap situation that Los Angeles does find themselves in. Even before the signing of this contract, they are one of the teams that's spending very near to the high end of the salary cap uh, sphere. And, and they have a few players uh, that are going to be UFAs or RFAs next year. They'll have to make a difficult decision on one of them, I'm sure. And, and the guy that I think is going to be opting out of the circumstance just because of cash constraints is, is Milan Lucic. He's in the final year of a cap hit of $3.25 million, looking for a big raise. The guy is 27 years old, playing top six minutes and, uh, and a feature player in the Los Angeles situation. They brought him in to be a top six guy and an impact player, and he's had a pretty good impact on the second scoring line there. But his profile is such that he's going to command something of a raise. I don't see how they're going to fit him in when they have to sign the likes of Trevor Lewis and uh, up-and-coming defenseman Braden McNabb, among others, this offseason. What's your take on that possibility? The Kings are actually set up, I think, nicely for next year. But then after that, it's going to get real, really messy because after next year, they're going to have to sign Tyler Toffoli to an extension. He's going to make a lot of money. you got to yeah. figure... You know, even, you know, things are a little bit screwy with the way that I mean, guys like him get paid, right? Because I think Toffoli is is going to be fully deserving of something that's uh, going to be, you know, closer to the neighborhood of these max contracts by the by the time we get around to the 2017 offseason. But uh, more likely to earn around $5 million a year, which is uh, a cap-friendly situation for the Kings. But, you know, you look at the Kings next year, they're going to lose Lucic, uh... Trevor Lewis is the only other forward who's an unrestricted free agent. Maybe they bring him back. Maybe they don't. I say he's replaceable. Uh, you look at the blue line. They've got McNabb, restricted free agent. They're going to be able to sign him you know, at a reasonable cost, I think. he's not. He hasn't broken out in some kind of huge performance that they're going to have to pay him like $4 million a year. Uh, you know, only making 650000 this year due for a raise, but maybe they'll pay him, what, two? Uh, yeah, and then they got two other guys. And on then the you group. got Shannon Erhoff will exactly. probably be gone. But you know they have they still have Dowdy, Muzzin, Martinez, and McNabb under contract. They really only need to fill in at the back end, which they may be able to do with you know, AHL guys, guys on minimum contracts. So not a bad situation for the Kings cap situation moving forward. Uh, but yeah, but it, it, what it does highlight, though, Andrew, and to your point about uh, about their captain, you can't whiff on more than one contract. Otherwise, you're going to be in jail there. Yeah, they're going to have to suck it up in that circumstance. And I think they'll be able to for at least the next year or two, as you correctly pointed out. But uh, whiffing on two contracts of that ilk, that really puts you in a cap jail. And that's where several teams find themselves. And uh, we can also talk about this this deal with Kopitar and the impact on the Steven Stamkos negotiations that we've touched on in the previous weeks. Uh, I, I, I make the case that Stamkos has to fall in kind of behind, no higher than what Kopitar has signed, or maybe even a step below, because as we, I was talking to you uh, before we went on the air, uh, Stamkos hasn't got the Stanley Cup rings, whereas Kopitar has a couple, and the guys in Chicago have three each. So uh, on that measuring stick alone, uh, I I put Steven Stamkos a notch below the other three guys, and uh, so there's a bit of a, a ceiling on what he and his camp should expect in their negotiations. Negotiations, in my view, do you agree with that assessment? I would say that I think when we talk about these, you know, 
guys who are likely to get max contracts, we're kind of splitting hairs. You know, maybe a guy makes a shade less. You know, Kopitar is making well, like 500k less, or maybe a little right. less than that, even uh, than the the likes of Kane and Taves. And I think it's more symbolic than anything else. Uh, you know, when we when we talk about uh, you know totals that high, we're really just talking about very small differences that are that are more a matter of uh, status, I think, than than real impact on a, a team's salary cap situation. And to be clear, I mean, by rule, no one player can take more than 20% of any team's salary cap. So in theory, Stephen Stamkos could even be in, be in line for something like, like a $14 million a year cap hit, just to be totally open about possibilities there. I don't see how he gets anything more than uh, than 10 uh, at the moment, unless some team goes out of their mind, some team at the bottom end of the salary cap scale decides to become a big spender. And there are a few teams that uh, are not your uh, central NHL uh, uh, clubs in terms of uh, vi- high visibility or high impact. I don't think they're going to change Nashville into one of those teams overnight or even the Arizona Coyotes. So it it remains for a team with a lot of excess capacity. And I'll still say that the Leafs are here in Toronto are uh, are a very serious alternative for the Stephen Stamkos sweepstakes. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that Stamkos, the Leafs, will continue to be a, a hot topic uh, up and up until the very moment that he ends up somewhere. And uh, you know, it's it's quite likely that he's going to end up getting traded. I think at at the deadline to another team that's not the Leafs. Uh, you know, Stephen Stamkos had better keep his bags packed even after that. I agree with you. I don't discount that possibility, and it certainly is going to provide him, if he gets that deal done, it'll be to another contending team, Andrew, and we know that that gives him one more chance to uh, up the ante in terms of the negotiations that will go on when he does become that free agent in the summer. So it really behooves him to put the pedal to the metal no matter where he winds up in the postseason, and if he stays in Tampa, so be it. Maybe he leaves there on a high uh, if they can replicate the, the playoff run they went on last year. But that team has struggled all year long with a lot of controversy, which we covered in previous weeks. And I'm not sure that they're going to be capable of it. I want to take your attention to another team in the Atlantic Division, though, that is really reeling right now. And another team that was featured as a high uh, finisher in in our preseason standings, the Montreal Canadiens. They have really been a shadow of their, uh, their early start. And it all ties into the MVP impact of a carry, one carry price we're seeing the true value of this guy he was he and the canadians were 10 and 2 while he was in there for 12 starts they are under 500 without him and the the trophy is all about the heart trophy is all about individual players value to a team we're seeing it in spades here in montreal i think this team's in real trouble because what i'm hearing andrew is that uh, price may not be ready to go for another four weeks and that takes us into the the uh beginning of February, and uh, you and I know, watching the league over many years, that once you fall out of the playoff race late in the season, it's hard in this era of three-point games to make up any lost ground. I think they're in serious trouble. What do you think about the Canadians? Absolutely. As you as you pointed out in your column today, 13-15-3 uh, are the Canadians with no carry price in the lineup. Uh, they've lost 3 of 4 and 7 and of 10. Uh, here as we've uh, flipped the calendar to 2016, and uh, yeah, I mean what you're we're seeing is a team that hasn't had a lot of scoring punch. You know, outside of that first line, if Pacioretty is not putting it in, then no one is. You know, if, pa- if Pacioretty and Gallagher will say, 
uh, and and that's been you know the really the results uh, this year for the Canadians after a red hot start. Their offense was firing on all cylinders. Brendan Gallagher gets hurt, and uh, and now Carey Price is hurt. Uh, Gallagher is back. Yeah, and now. But, but the the lineup just uh they're not scoring like they were they don't have the same confidence, and uh, it's not surprising considering the the lack of depth in that forward core. And then it seems like off ice news and noise seems to follow teams that are in turmoil. Uh, Alex Galchenyuk got involved in a little bit of a domestic situation, which you won't get get into a lot of detail. But this is another guy, a young guy that they were counting on to solidify a second scoring line. And now he's surrounded by some real controversy off the ice that's got to impact his play. Then you throw in the fact that Dale Weiss is a uh, fourth line plugger who started off the season very well and has turned out to be one of four players that has reached double figures in scoring and now he's on the IR so uh, even though their their offensive depth has been challenged earlier on in the season it figures to continue to be that way and maybe get worse with the with the fact that both of these two players will be uh, a little uh, suffering a little bit for one reason or another in, in terms of I think uh, off ice issues or injury status so I think the Canadians are really hard-pressed they're lucky, though, that a couple other teams that are chasing them are really floundering in that Atlantic division right now. Yeah, funny headline in the Montreal Gazette today. Uh, Alex Galchenyuk, a victim of being a Montreal Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they are popular, these young guys, young single guys. And, uh, well, let's just leave it at that. But uh, it's too bad that uh, some of the off-ice shenanigans have an impact when uh, when you're a young man and uh, sometimes you don't make the best decision for yourselves and, and it's going to impact his play if it hasn't already, I think, until it gets straightened out. But uh, the teams that I'm, um, are chasing the Canadians also are a bit of a concern to me. Uh, Ottawa and Boston, both teams with losing records in the last 10 games, Andrew. I thought that this uh, the price injury would have cost the Canadians a playoff spot by now. But the fact is that Boston and Ottawa are both 2-6-2, two, two, I think, in the last 10 games and uh, not really closing the gap on, uh, on the Habs. And uh, there's trouble in those parts, too, for various reasons. Yeah, uh, the, the Canadians are lucky that they play in a division that only has, uh, you know, Detroit. Obviously, the Red Wings always up there, always making the playoffs. Yeah. And Florida, the, the, the young upstarts uh, suddenly... Uh, streaking recently although they've dropped their last two uh at least one was in overtime so still get still picking up another point uh yeah. ahead by six points of detroit are the panthers but meanwhile on the flip side yeah you've got the the bolts uh they've been a little better lately uh offense is still not quite firing on all cylinders uh but they're 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 playing more solid overall hockey recently uh still you know you have to figure they're gonna pass montreal quite soon they're just one point behind Boston, two points behind. They have really been struggling, as you say, uh, and and it's it's kind of a been a very Jekyll and Hyde season, I think, for the Bruins, who were defensive just a nightmare early on. Uh, so you know, then they locked it down. Char got a little healthier. Uh, they were they're feeling better, and now they've uh, they've hit the skids again. Uh, I haven't actually seen the Bruins uh, play in in a, a few weeks, uh, so I haven't. Uh, I actually missed uh, Monday's game when the the Rangers uh, happily defeated them until the very <laughs> end. Uh, I did see uh, Jesper, Derek Brassard and Jesper Fasta uh, flip the script on Boston, 
which has had uh, had trouble closing out games in recent days. And and even more telling with the Bruins situation is they have an they have actually got a losing record on home ice. I I gotta think that it's at least twenty years since since they've had a, a poor home ice record, Andrew. And that is shocking. That, that to me is a very telling statistic because. Boston has been a graveyard for teams that aren't willing to match this team and they're normally a high level of physical play, but they've kind of strayed away from that in the way they built this team. And I think it's reflected in the fact that people uh, oppos- opposing teams aren't going in to the TD Bank Garden with with uh, the, the level of fear that they might have in prior years. And I think that's uh, that's been an impact on, on the Bruins' home record and uh, the free-flowing style of play that uh, is an unusual aspect of of their home games right now. So yeah, there's, there's no... no fear in the hearts of the opposition no. as they go as they head in there. Although Boston, uh, you, we can say this for them. On the flip side, they're the best road team in the Atlantic. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, but that might be like the best seat on the Titanic right now. So, <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see well, if we've got the uh, the Senators uh, similarly struggling. Just lost to Anaheim. Uh, Last night, and that's that's a that's a rough one when you give up uh, four goals to a Ducks team that's really been struggling to score lately, uh, and they they did it against them really without Ryan Getzlaff and, and Corey Perry contributing much at all. Uh, when you when you let those Anaheim depth liners get to you, uh, that's not not a good look for Craig Anderson and the Senators. But you mentioned now the the term flipping the switch. It looks like the Ducks are turning things around a little bit, and. Uh... I, I think Bruce Boudreaux's done a smart thing. He knows that they've kind of painted themselves into a bit of a corner with their terrible start. But what he's done is he's tried to break down the remaining 40 games into 10-game segments, Andrew. I was watching their broadcast the other night, and he's saying that if they can get 13 points out of each 10-game sec- uh, section of the remaining schedule, they'll finish with about 95 points. That'll be a playoff uh, enough for a playoff appearance. And that's all that they're looking for at this stage. This is a very good team that we highlighted at the beginning of the season. They've got some high-end talent up front, the, the, one of the most uh, prolific dynamic duels, which has underperformed greatly in Perry and Getzlaff so far this year. And they have four defensemen that are capable offensive guys. They have a tandem in that that is finally looking stabilized. I think this could be a surprise team down the stretch, and uh, and I wouldn't hate, wouldn't like to play them in the first round of the playoffs. I'll say that. I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Anaheim is probably going to end up in there as a six, seven, eight seed, and they're going to be matched up against a team that's going to be well favored against them. Probably when you consider the way that the Ducks, you know, the the sort of general down downward trend that the Ducks have experienced this year. But yeah, 6-2-2 two, and two in their last 10. They're coming up in the world. And they're still a good home team. They just got to uh, get it together on the road, play a little bit tighter defense, and, and find a little bit more still from Perry and Getzlaff, who have just been missing in action. Now, ma- matching the Ducks in that division for the last 10 games is the Vancouver Canucks. Surprising me with a 6-2-2 two, and two mark in their last 10 games. They were embroiled in a bit of a controversial finish in uh, a recent vic- victory over uh, Florida that we can touch upon as well. But that might be a galvanizing moment for this team. It's often said that sometimes a bit of uh, team building happens when there's a bit of a uh, team-wide scrap, as there was at the end of this game. Uh, things kind of blew, blew over after a small incident at the end of the game. And uh, you wonder if the, the Canucks can catapult themselves into playoff contention uh, on the basis of this most recent surge and that particular instance. I'm not a big believer in them right now like I am in Anaheim, but I wonder what you think about the Canucks' chances going forward. The Canucks are, are a weird team, as they as they always are, uh, because you know you really have it's the Sedins and everyone else. Uh, Verbata 
uh, scored 31 goals last year, has not been that same guy this year. I think the Canucks are a team that can end up finding themselves outside of the playoff picture, ultimately. Uh, when you look at the fact that Ryan Miller has really not been very good, uh, he's been overtaken, really, already, by uh, Jacob Markstrom. And, you know, Markstrom's been a, a goalie of the future. He was a goalie of the future for Florida, and now he's a goalie of the future for Vancouver for a while. Uh, but now he's become the, the goalie of the present there. And the results the results have been good lately, but he's also sort of had these flashes of goodness in the past and then fallen back. Uh, he's you know, produced in the AHL, come to the NHL, and then not played well. Uh, so we're going to have to see a more sustained stretch of success from Markstrom because Miller doesn't look like he can handle the load anymore. And and in the top six situation, particularly the line, the line that you mentioned, the Sedin twins have a new yet familiar partner on that top line, Alex Burroughs. It looks like he's getting a shot uh, to reclaim his first former first-line role now that Yannick Hansen finds himself on the injured list. Verbata that you mentioned, he's been a, a fixture on a second-scoring unit, so it looks like Burroughs is getting a little bit of a look and might be something of a fa- uh, get a bit of a fantasy blip in his stats should he stay there for an extended period of time. But like you, I'm concerned about what's happened with Ryan Miller there. I uh, was fortunate. I'll say this, and if I can diver- uh, divulge uh, a trade that happened in one of our Rotowire leagues, I made a trade with uh, a buddy of ours, a uh, senior le- member of uh, Rotowire's executive, and uh, I feel like I ripped him off because I got Brett Burns in return for, for Ryan Miller straight up. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's a nice <laughs> win, although, you know, if, if goalies are valuable in the league, and, you know, they often are, uh, it's, it's understandable to some degree, but, yeah, Miller, uh, it's just a case of buying at the wrong time. But on the on the topic of Burroughs, man, I mean, man, that guy has really been struggling. Yeah. Look at the last 21 games for Alex Burroughs. No goals, one assist, minus yeah. seven. Yeah. Uh, not a good look for Burroughs there. Uh, not a good companion, you would think, on that top line for the Canucks. Uh, maybe uh, maybe Phil Kessel isn't working out in in, uh, in Pittsburgh, and they can uh, snatch him up. <laughs> that would be a a, a double Sedin and Kessel first line. Now now we're talking in Vancouver. Can you imagine? I mean, and and then if Burroughs doesn't work out, I could see them giving Jake Vertanen a, a shot. I like what I've seen out of this guy. He's playing third line minutes right now, but he's been highly touted uh, based on a strong junior career. And uh, seeing a little bit more ice time in recent starts, but and picked up a goal his last time out. Yeah, against so that, the Luongo, no less. That, yeah, that might be a guy who, who gets a bit of a look, but I think he needs a little more seasoning before he gets a shot. So maybe it's Burroughs by default, and his familiarity with the Sedins should translate us into some points uh, before too long, I do believe. Uh, we mentioned a couple of teams in the, Western, uh, in the Pacific Division, but the one that's really capturing most of the headlines recently is the Arizona Coyotes, Andrew. They uh, seem to have a lot of components that are coming together. I've highlighted in the column that you spoke of today about a number of players that are enjoying career seasons uh, among the veteran core. And we already talked about the rookie contribution of uh, Duclair and Domi. And in goal, uh, Matt Domingue has been a revelation. Not, uh, Louis Domingue, I should. Matt Domingue is a baseball player. Louis Domingue <laughs> is, a, is a hot shot goalie with the Arizona uh, Coyotes who's really taken, uh, taken the team and the league by storm since he broke, uh, broke ranks with uh, the uh, minor leagues and, and made it to the major leagues. And, you know, at a time when it looked like the season was going to fall apart for Arizona with Mike Smith's injury, Domingue has come in and really been... And nothing short of sensational uh, in terms of his contribution. So I like what's happening there. This is a team that was a bottom feeder in the league, second last in the league last year, and right now they're second in the Pacific Division. 
Yeah, you have to wonder, uh, is Smith part of what's been holding the Coyotes back for these last few years? You know, obviously he had that huge season 2011-2012 with about 9.30 save percentage, was 138 games. But that's that's to- quite the outlier in the career of Mike Smith. You know, look at the last three seasons, 9-10, 9-15, 9-04, 9-01 this year. Uh, maybe it's not the defense that's been holding back the Arizona Coyotes. Maybe it's the goalie. And, you know, to that end, uh, we want to take a bit of a, a turn at looking at ways that we can help fantasy owners uh, around North America with, with our tips and our views on the most added and most dropped players around the league. We'll start with Louis Domingue uh, and the Arizona situation. He went from 24% ownership to 45% uh, last week in, in, Yahoo, in CBS and Yahoo leagues, uh, as I understand it. And uh, I think he's full value for it. And I think he has a good situation in front of him to uh, to allow him to continue. But he's still a rookie, and you wonder, once the league gets a book on him, does he go down a notch? That's uh, that's the only concern that I have, Andrew. I wonder if you feel the same way. Yeah, I think there's got to be some regression coming for Deming, and, and I base that largely on what we've seen out of him in the AHL, right? He's sitting on a, a 9.32 save percentage in the National Hockey League right now, which is obviously outstanding, one of the the better marks you'll see over the 11 games that he's played. But in the AHL, uh, much more modest returns. He was 6-6-1 with a 9-19 save percentage, 255 goals against. Those are, you know, a little bit above average numbers, nothing special. Last year in the AHL, worse, uh, 9-08 save percentage. The year before, even worse, 8-90. Uh, so there's not a big track record of Domingue coming out and, and putting up uh, you know, high-end goalie numbers. I think that we're seeing a little bit of a, a fluky occurrence here. Uh, catching fire at the right moment uh, is great, but I wouldn't buy Louis Domingue thinking of him as, as a long-term goalie. That's my well, opinion. And, and then another goalie situation is up there in terms of the most uh, added players in the past week, and that's Brian Elliott. He's been part of a goalie tandem in St. Louis that's kind of split things down the middle 50-50. But with the injury to Jake Allen, it looks like he's going to get the lion's share of the road, the load going forward. And in the Bruno household, we're very happy to report that Jordan Bennington has been called up to be his backup. Jordy is a, a resident of Richmond Hill, uh, the area that we live in, and a family friend. And we're hoping that he gets a shot too. But Elliot will get the lion's share of the goaltending going forward. And uh, St. Louis is still a pretty solid team, Andrew. I think this guy has a chance to go on a bit of a run. And uh, Elliott owners, will, I think, will see a bit of a spike in his numbers, a favorable, favorable spike. And that accounts for all the additions that we're seeing, I think, most recently. Yeah, I think we'll see some inconsistency in the, in the ratios for Elliott because it's been a while since he had to carry the load uh, right. in the way that he's going to have to now. Bennington, a uh, nice story. I didn't know that you knew him, uh, but has, has not been... Uh... Tearing it up at the AHL level, only a 9-10 save percentage, uh, not extremely impressive. Uh, so you can't imagine that the Blues are going to want to turn too many starts over to him. So yeah, we're going to see a, a lengthy string of Brian Elliott starts here with Jake Allen, who had really been carrying the load uh, out week to week. So he could miss uh, two, three weeks very reasonably and, and possibly time beyond that. And Andrew, we talked about the big trade with Ryan Johansson and Seth Jones a week ago. One of the impacts in Nashville is that everybody else who was in uh, the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth 
Uh, fourth, fifth, and sixth slots on defense, I should say, moves up one, and that means Matthias Ekholm is a cinch to get more top four minutes, and his percentages go up 15% from 26 to 41, and he has some offensive upside. I believe he has 18 points year-to-date. Uh, much of the Nashville offense as a team begins with the blue line. That's just the way this team operates, that they involve their defense in a lot of the offense, and he's maybe the next uh, young prospect that takes the next step in Nashville like uh, Roman Yossi did in the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I don't know if, if Ekholm has that kind of offensive upside, but he's definitely going to see more minutes. Uh, he reminds me kind of of a, a sort of a, a bigger version of uh, Dan Girardi of the Rangers, uh, a guy who's good on the back end, uh, who can wind it up and, and shoot it now and again, but it only shows up in uh, in fits and starts as opposed to being something that happens uh, all the time. Uh, and I don't know if Ekholm is going to develop in the, just the kind of shutdown defender that Girardi is, but I think he's uh, to some degree from that same mold. Well, and, and I'm going to tip my hat to you, my friend, because uh, in the last couple of weeks you mentioned the next guy, Sean Couturier, as a guy to watch in Philadelphia. He is uh, showing a... Big improvement, I think, in his overall game, and and the ownership uh, percentages reflect that as well. He's gone from 17 to 29 in the last week. Uh, why don't you talk to me about Sean Couturier for a moment? Yeah, any time that you see a former top 10 draft pick uh, go through a stretch, as he did uh, up until going scoreless last night, where he had 12 points and a plus 12 rating in 10 games, it, it definitely makes you sit up and take notice, uh, especially when he's playing the kind of minutes that he's been playing recently ostensibly still the second-line center for the Flyers. Couturier is averaging 18 minutes and 42 seconds of ice time over those last over those 10 games. Uh, pretty big totals that are, that are reflecting uh, an advance that we've seen from him finally. Hopefully something one that's here to stay in offense because, you know, the number 8 pick in 2011 really hasn't lived up to it after, you know, being just a, a killer in juniors, a 100-point man. And, uh... It's, it's finally starting to come together for Couturier. He's always been considered more of a two-way guy, uh, but had traditionally been kind of playing more one-way uh, toward the, the defensive end. Uh, it's nice to see him stepping up, using his talent, and uh, and the Flyers need it because they, they didn't really have... you know They need that second line to, to get it going. And uh, one of the guys on, uh, on a team that we've talked about in the past week or so, too, on the Florida Panthers, Jonathan Huberdeau, a recent high draft pick. Seems like he's starting to get it for real, Andrew, and produced three goals and three assists in his last five games and looking like the, the high former first-rounder that he was and has been central to that team's recent string of success. I think this is very definitely sustainable and look for big things for him uh, down the stretch. Yeah, I've always looked at Huberto as a guy who I think is going to turn into one of the superstars of the league. Uh, obviously, the number three pick in 2011, uh, a pretty good draft class that was. Uh, and he's, yeah, indeed, as you say, uh, on a career-high scoring pace. I think he's going to clear 60 points this year for a Panthers team that looks very determined, uh, that has great chemistry, really gelled together well, especially, I think, if they can find another defenseman to, to balance things out, to bring them a little more offense from the blue line on the power play. Uh, uh, someone to compliment Aaron Ekblad, I think would be a, a great thing for them. Now, Andrew, you mentioned Aaron Ekblad. I'm hearing word that this guy is suffering from a concussion. I can't get anything con concrete on that situation, but that would be a significant blow to the, the Florida situation. Uh, have you heard anything uh, definite in that regard? Yeah, uh, Ekblad's been in the concussion protocol for the last few days. Uh, 
you know, concussions, always a, a hard injury to pin down as far as a timeline. Uh, the fortunate thing with Ekblad is he really doesn't have a history of them, and uh, he seems to be only considered day-to-day right now. So I think he avoided anything major, but it's always something to make a little note of when you see guys suffer concussions early in their careers because they do pile up over time. That's uh, that's a key Just point. ask Eric so, Lindros. Exactly right. Case Maybe the signature case around the league. And then, or Ryan Clough. Exactly. Now, what about the most dropped? Let's take a look at the most dropped players and see what you think about some of these names. I'm surprised about the first one, quite frankly. Anders Nilsson in Edmonton has dropped from 35 to 28% overall and leads the pack in that regard. Sure, he's splitting time with Cam Talbot, whose game has uh, improved most recently, and he's getting more minutes. But a guy by the name of Connor McDavid's coming back and I think that bodes well for a lot of Edmonton players, particularly uh, in goalies included. Uh, so I'm not sure why, why people would bail on, on one of the Edmonton goalies right now. I think uh, it's a, it's a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately world, uh, especially in fantasy. And you look at Anders Nilsson, last save percentage he posted over 900 in a game was December 6th. That's a month and a week ago. <laughs> Maybe uh, you answered my question. <laughs> so, so that'll do it. I mean, over those last seven games, 4.09 goals against, 8.64 save percentage, uh, including some huge swaths of playing time that have just gone straight to Talbot. He's seeded this job back a little with the with these struggles that he's had, and uh, it's going to be a, a battle now for Nilsson to win that job back. And, and if McDavid returns and Talbot is the immediate beneficiary of that, it's going to become even harder. And, I mean, we've talked about uh, the injury impact on uh, Montreal. Dave Weiss, this guy, had his best couple of uh, weeks early in the season and now is on the injured list. His ownership has gone down 6%, and I think it's going to go down even more before the end of the season. You can include a guy like James Van Riemsdyk, another injury situation. But then you look at a team like Minnesota, which has been playing, playing pretty well, and Jason Pominville, who has routinely been one of their top six guys, his ownership has dropped 5% as well. And uh, I, I don't have a great explanation for that one. Uh, I think this is a guy that's reliable on a very reliable team. And even though his performance has been a little bit subpar most recently, I'm not ready to, to jettison him from my lineup if I have him in fantasy. Yeah, the, the, the problem with Pominville, and I agree that it's, it's hard to cut a guy like that loose because you know that he's got that 30-goal upside. Uh, but the problem is you look at uh, what he's done right lately, and it's kind of a zeros. similar story. Zeros yeah. and zeros and zeros. Last 10 games, no points. Yeah, And even worse, even worse. Only 13 shots on goal in that span. Yeah, that's We're talking a about a guy who's cleared 200 shots, uh, you know, I don't know, eight times in his career. Yeah. Uh, and he's he's not on pace. He's on pace to to barely get there this year. And if he keeps up the recent pace of these last 10, he's not going to come close. And then a guy who's not going to come close, it looks like, to the season that he had last year in Calgary is Yuri Hoodler. This guy is a guy that we had penciled in for something of a regression, and we're certainly seeing it, Andrew. He's got 22 points in 36 games, and he's on the, the most dropped list too. But I think Calgary is an interesting story because they do uh, another team that generates a lot of uh, offense from the defense, and as long as they have the guys like Giordano and Brody and, and that uh, Hoodler is in the mix for some playing time on the power play, he's a guy that you shouldn't bail on either. Yeah, and I've always liked Hoodler, but uh, I did feel last year, you know, he puts up that 76 points. We're never going to see that from him again. I, I hope that everyone is clear on that. That uh, I actually had uh, an interesting story that uh, I was, last year, 
my team in the Rotowire Staff Keeper League fell out of contention trying to make some trades. And I had a, a one of our league mates offering me Hoodler on a, a very reasonable contract. And then I ended up instead trading for Johnny Gaudreau, which I think anyone reasonable would say, yes, obviously, trade for Johnny Gaudreau instead at, at a very similar contract. Uh, I, I caught some flack for that uh trading for the guy who's nine years younger and uh, much better regarded. Uh, I don't think that I'm going to catch any more because uh, Gaudreau has firmly established himself as one of the scoring stars of the league while Hoodler has fallen off, has fallen off of Gaudreau and, uh, was that, um, oh my God, blank, Sean Monahan's line. Right, right. And, you know, we see his ice time dropping only 13 minutes uh, in the, in his return from a groin injury last night against Florida, but he did pick up two assists, so and a and a plus four rating, so uh, a positive night for Hoodler. But we're we're still waiting for more. Still hasn't scored a goal since the beginning of December. Uh, tough times for Yuri Hoodler. But yes, I agree. If he's kicking around on your waiver wire and you've got someone on your bench who's you know not really very special, I mean Hoodler has at at the very least uh, fifty point talent. You know, I don't think that he's a that 76-point guy, but he definitely has 50-plus talent and uh, well worth owning in a wide variety of fantasy formats. And, Andrew, I want to cl- close this uh, section of our show out with the mention of a pair of Pittsburgh defensemen who uh, have some offensive upside, and yet they're on the most dropped list, too, and that's Trevor Daly and Ole Mata. Now, Trevor Daly has been a recent addition via trade in the hopes that he could uh, bolster, bolster the offensive production from the blue line. So far, that hasn't materialized. Ole Matt is a guy, that, a young guy that the pl- Penguins have drafted, and they're trying to mold him into a top-four offensive scoring-type defenseman. But there again, there's been some regression in his game. He's a youngster, and uh, there's no way the team's going to give up on him in the near term. And uh, I wonder if, if either of the, these guys is a longer-term hold or a guy that you might like to see on your roster, given, given your druthers, if you had the chance. Well, I, unfortunately, I do own Daly in uh, my very deep dynasty league, uh, which has not been uh, a very rewarding experience this year after I picked him up for nothing last season and was uh, handsomely rewarded uh, with uh, 16 goals, still sitting on just one this year, no points in the last nine games. It, it kind of seems like the Penguins are seeing the same things in Trevor Daly that Chicago did. That He's... Again, you know, uh, we, we thought that he was going to work his way into a bigger role in Pittsburgh. That hasn't been the case. He's been under 20 minutes of ice time, under 19 minutes of ice time even, in the last seven games. Uh, and and it's not trending up for Daly right now. Uh, it looks like he may have uh, reached the peak, and uh, instead of hiking down, he's just rolling. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andrew, can I put it on you now before we go into the signature part of our show, the ending with the stud and the rent, to tell our listeners how they can find our podcast and or other Rotowire podcasts, please. Suggestion is always appreciated, just as you are potential listeners. <laughs> uh, should appreciate going to rotowire.com slash pod. You can pick up a free 10-day subscription to Rotowire. Read our fantasy news, our exclusive articles that you can't see behind the super exclusive paywall. Uh, you don't even know how fancy it is back here, guys. Come check out rotowire.com slash pod. Listen to our podcasts. Read original fantasy analysis. 
and ignore the auto-playing video on the front page that I just went to. <laughs> I thought I did something there. <laughs> All right. Thank you for that, Andrew. Let's close it out now with our weekly look at the stud and the rant of the week. I uh, will begin this with a mention of two venerable long-time power forwards. You know how much I love those type of players. Jerome McGinley reached the 600-goal mark for his career. Shane Doan leads the Arizona Coyotes, the rejuvenated Arizona Coyotes, with 15 goals so far this year. I'm concerned that the powerful forward of their ilk is a dying breed, Andrew. And I want to tip my hat to these guys while they're, while they're still performing at a high level in the NHL because they are my type of guys, the guys that will just as soon go run over you as well as skate around you for a scoring chance, and they, they're not shy to drop the gloves uh, either. So I like that kind of a player, and these are two guys that have done it better than most for a long, long time. Yeah, I, I don't know if it's totally a dying breed, but you're right that there aren't uh, a ton of uh, established young power forwards in the league. You know, you've got uh, Ryan Johansson you would put in that category, Gabriel Landis-Cog, uh, Brandon Saad, uh, Chris Kreider. Uh, but, you know, beyond that, you know, we see power forwards tend to take a long time to develop. Uh, this is something uh, I wrote about uh, before in my column when I used to write about prospects. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's always a, a very lengthy development curve, and we see that with Kreider right now as uh, he's been slow to ramp up into the kind of player that everyone thought he would be coming into the league. Uh, and it's just it's just a process for these big guys, especially because uh, the league has changed a little bit. Uh, defensemen have gotten bigger. Uh, you know, you can't be, you know, uh, 1993, 94 Adam Graves and set up in front of the net and score 50 goals. It just doesn't work like that in the league anymore. Right. And instead, we're seeing a bit of more gratuitous staged fighting. That's not what I'm talking about here. These guys are the guys that play the game at a physical uh, in a physical manner. And yet they still have the soft, uh, silky mitts that uh, that can deliver the payload, and then they score tons and tons of goals. That's why I like these guys so much because they play the game any way you want, and they play it at a high level. And that kind of is a nice segue into my rant of the week, Andrew, where I'm acknowledging that fighting is no longer a big part of hockey. So I don't like it when some of the uh, analysts fall back on old school logic to uh, to motivate teams. Let me explain what I'm talking about here to our listeners. Uh, locally here in Toronto, much is being made of the fact that Captain Dion Phaneuf did not drop his gloves against Columbus's fourth-line uh, plugger, Jared Bull, on Wednesday night in a meaningless game between two non-playoff teams at a time when the Leafs were not playing very well. They were down one nothing to the league's worst team, but the Leafs are 28th in the, in the league themselves. So nothing much at stake here, and yet Phaneuf is being roasted in the local media for not accepting the invitation to drop the mitts here. I, I don't think that it's on him to motivate his teammates to drop the gloves to fight. I think that day and age is gone. And I think it's up to each player uh, in the modern NHL to get the hell off their wallet and they play their butts off every night. <laughs> Find the motivation within themselves, Andrew. I, I don't buy this old school logic that a fight uh, changes momentum in games like it, it may have done once upon a time. Yeah, I think that era has changed. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen that. Uh, and I think the the way that enforcers are used today, uh, you know, when you look at a guy like Phaneuf, he's a guy that I think 
he doesn't fight by design. He fights when the moment strikes, when the mood strikes. And I think that that's the way that fighting should exist in the game. If he doesn't want to fight, he doesn't want to fight. Of course, you play in Toronto. Uh, everything is magnified. The, they have nothing better to talk about because the team is awful. Uh, so they're going to harp uh, the local media on this kind of thing. Uh, I'm happy to be uh, in Philadelphia when the Flyers suck. You just don't hear about them. <laughs> it, they might as well the Flyers and Sixers may as well not exist right now uh, I don't I have not heard a single mention of them I don't see a jersey I don't see a hat I don't see a, a, a hoodie uh, they, they might as well be dead to the people of Philadelphia uh, and and you know uh, it's got to be uh, relieving <laughs> to, to be able to experience that uh, if you've played in a place like Toronto or Montreal where uh if you struggle, oh, are you going to hear about it every single day? But that's the beauty of fantasy, too, uh, Andrew. And that is, if, even if your home team is struggling, you can look at your own fantasy teams and they're of your own making, and you can cheer for them. And that's why we're here, and we're pleased to be here on a weekly basis. And it's, I think, a nice way to wrap up another episode of The Great Ones, Andrew. Uh, Rotowire's hockey podcast, so for you... Uh, I'll remind our listeners that you've been listening to me, Paul Bruno, and <laughs> my buddy, Andrew Fiorentino, and we thank you for giving us a listen and inviting you to come back and catch the next episode of our show next week. So, so long, everybody. So you own your own business. Got small ambitions for this business? Of course you don't. Got medium ambitions for this business? Of course you don't. Who has medium ambitions? You got big ambitions. If you're a growing business with big ambitions, you want to grow with Granger. Granger has the products, the services, and more importantly, the commitment you need. Total commitment. If you're a growing business, Granger's got your back. Call clickgranger.com or stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.